You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. We tried to reach out to Twitter through their press email, and their automatic response now is a poop emoji. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Mallory Safoste, consumer investigator and anchor with WMAR Returns. This time she's talking about how scammers are going after animal adoption organizations. Scoundrels. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps. Actually having a weekend every so often. We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an InfoSec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? Well, stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right, Joe, it is uh, good to be back. We were away for a week while I was recovering from a little uh, little dash of COVID. <laughs> a little uh, dash, of, that's how we call it now. A little well, dash of COVID. I don't want to, yeah. I, you know, COVID is not fun. And no. I, while I, I would say I had a minor, not minor, um, what do you call it? Uh, not a minor uh, bout with it. Um, it was not bad. It was survivable, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yes, uh, yeah. So far, so good. Uh, but um, I wouldn't wish it on that, anyone. I was not feeling well. No. We didn't record in person. I think this is the first time you and I have been in the same room for about a month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Uh, I'm glad to be done with it. Glad that I had all my shots and everything, which, you know, I, I assume made it less worse <laughs> than it otherwise <laughs> would have been. But uh, anyway, good to be back. Um, we've got some follow-up this week. Uh, we do. What do we got, Joe? George wrote in to complain about Wells Fargo from our uh, episode 420, uh, 249. Okay. Great. I'm mixing up the numbers, Dave. Uh, <laughs> now, I don't want to go into too much detail uh, about his complaining about the staff at, at Wells Fargo and the way they run things. Uh, but suffice to say, he doesn't think they're doing a good job with customer care. Okay. But I do want to highlight one of his claims from his email. He said, when my wife had had one of her Wells Fargo accounts locked out online due to a problem with her multi-factor authentication, she went to a local Wells Fargo branch for help. The Uh staff and manager gave her a hard time by publicly embarrassing her with statements like she was stupid. Unfortunately, I was not there or uh, with her, or else I would have definitely intervened. But because of this... <laughs> Breaking news, Wells Fargo branch burns to the ground. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sure George is not going to burn. George is not an arsonist, Dave. <laughs> no, no, but he, he will stand up for his loved ones. But we all feel that way sometimes. We <laughs> right. all have the inner arsonist that says, I'll burn, you know... That's right. It's, uh, <laughs> Treat someone I love this way, you will pay. It's uh, Melvin from Office Space. I'll burn this place to the ground. Right, right. Um, 
But now she refuses to use multi-factor authentication on her Wells Fargo account oh. because of this interaction. Right. Which makes complete sense to me. Uh, yeah. George says he's put some other controls on there, assuming that he has a really strong password for it. <laughs> right, um, right. Which would be good. But yeah, uh, yeah this is, this is I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that this happened. I don't have any other confirmation, but I yeah. would not be surprised to see this happen. Um, <sighs> it's unfortunate. I would hazard a guess to say that it's probably localized. Uh, I and hope so. George was triggered by our story in episode 249 to say, you know, I had a bad experience with Wells Fargo too. Yeah. And here it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's unfortunate that this kind of thing happened. It is. And, you know, look, everybody has a bad day and we all have moments we wish we could take back where right. we weren't as kind or gr- gracious with other people. But uh, if you're... <laughs> you work at a There's bank. no excuse for, if you're <laughs> right. in a... If, yeah, if you're in a customer service position to... Uh, you know, shame a customer or make them feel bad about themselves. So that's just unacceptable. Yeah, the person so. has come in to, to get their uh, their online account locked out right. or unlocked. You're supposed to just help them with that. Don't yeah. ridicule them for it. It's, you know what, for a lot of people, this is the first time they're doing it. Right. You know, right. there are going to be bumps in the road. Yeah. Understand that. They would no longer have my business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Suffice to say, that's how I would have responded to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to George for uh, sending in that story. Uh, let's jump into our stories here. Um, my story comes from a listener named Keith who wrote in. This is a story from the Wall Street Journal uh, written by uh, Zhe Wang Kang. And uh, it's titled, Scammers Target Stores with Bomb Threats Seeking Bitcoin and Gift Cards. Hmm. So evidently some of the bigger, well-known national retail chains, organizations like Kroger and Walmart and Amazon, Whole Foods, um, they have received bomb threats at stores, and it seems like this isn't localized to one area. It's happening across the nation. They're receiving bomb threats where the person, the, the person threatening the bomb calls in and says that, uh, for example, a pipe bomb has been placed in the store, and if you don't pay $5,000 in Bitcoin, uh, or some of them have demanded uh, gift cards, uh, we're going to set off the bomb. And, of course, the the store has to take this seriously. Right. So, typically, we're talking about um, evacuating the store, calling law enforcement, bringing in a bomb squad or at least, you know, dogs to sweep the store and and so on and so forth. And I don't know what the the, uh, income rate of a large store like this is, but I can imagine when you're talking about a Whole Foods or a a Walmart, uh, if you shut down for a couple hours, which— I think something like this would shut down the store for a couple hours. You're probably going to lose more than $5,000 in revenue. Yes. So I wonder if this is spreading because it's working. I wonder if there are cases where the stores are doing the math and paying off the the terrorists. Right, yeah. uh, Because it's cheaper. I I would bet, I don't know, that that would be a good... good, a good question to ask. A good. I would like to know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, we probably would never know. I mean, they yeah. wouldn't want to publicize it. Uh, I mean, people... Cer- well, you know, here's the thing. There would certainly be coverage of the bomb threat because I don't suppose a store could wave off a bomb threat. Because what if a bomb goes off accidentally? Right. Right? Now, well, now look, there's probably no bomb. Right. right? I mean, 
I think we can all agree there's probably no bomb. If anywhere. somebody if somebody calls in a bomb threat though and says we're going to detonate it with yeah. uh, if you don't give us the five thousand dollars, right? Uh, the only response is to pull the fire alarm yeah. and evacuate the building immediately. Yeah, I just hang up the phone and do that mm-hmm. um, because you don't you know you're not don't sit there and 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 try to negotiate with them at that point in time. Just evacuate the building. Yeah. Um, the the question I have is, are these guys calling up to these places and saying, look, we could shut you down with a bomb threat. If you don't give us $5,000, we'll call a bomb threat in to the local police. Right. Uh, and then they'll come in and evacuate your store for you. Right. That seems to me like a more approachable way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... If if somebody calls a bomb threat into my store, I'm evacuating that store and hanging up the phone and getting out myself. Right. That's it. Right. I'm I'm hanging up the phone. They're not going to make any progress. Yeah. But if I if I'm if if somebody calls me and says, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm a bad guy, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't have a bomb in your store, but I can call the police and tell them there's a bomb in your store. Right. And they'll come in and evacuate your store, and you will lose two hours of business while the dogs run through and search for bombs. Yes. Um, that would be more persuasive, I think. Yeah. Um, however, I don't think you should capitulate to that either because mm-hmm. if you capitulate to that once, you're going to capitulate to that once a week, mm-hmm. once a month at least. Mm-hmm. They're going to do that all the time because they know it works. It's going to yeah. become a cost of you doing business. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting sort of, I guess, is it fair to say an escalation of the ransomware trend? Yeah, I, I, I think mean, it's a low effort. I don't even know if I'd call this ransomware. This is like... I mean, you're holding the store hostage, basically. Yeah, you're holding the store hostage, but it is a ransom, but it's not... There's no wear. You know, there's no software. Yeah. There's no technical expertise in this. You're just trying to scare people. Right, it's into, a threat. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't... <sighs> And, uh, so this, low effort. This, yeah, this article doesn't uh, point to any cases that were successful where, you know, they, they don't highlight any uh, times when the stores paid the demand. Um, they do point out that there have been other cases of stores being threatened for other things. You know, there was a, there was a story, um, uh, they say earlier this month, some Target stores got threats because the retailer had uh, LGBTQ merchandise in yes, the stores. Yes, and I, I think there was some talk of burning a Wells Fargo office to the ground. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> People were, uh, you know, and and again, they had to take those threats seriously. Right, absolutely um, they do. Yeah, but there was no money exchanged there. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, it's tough on the employees, obviously, you know, tough on the, the folks who want to purchase things at these stores, tough on law enforcement because they've got to go, these have to be taken seriously. But uh, I, I wonder, too, you know, the other side of this where part part of what enables this sort of thing is the degree to which we can still have anonymity when it comes to making a phone call. Right. And that's a problem. It is. Well, is it? I mean, well, do you need anonymity when you're making a phone call? That's a good question. Well, when you're making this kind of phone call. Yeah, you when you're do. making this kind of phone call, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what I'm saying is you can you can use, uh, you know, voice over IP account. You mm-hmm. can get a burner phone call. 
So, I mean, a burner phone. Right. Uh, you, could, you could go to Walmart, buy a burner phone, and call the Walmart. Maybe, um, you, maybe you can look around for a payphone. <laughs> when was the last time you saw a functioning payphone? Uh, I, you know what? I can tell you the answer to that. I saw a functioning payphone at Disney World. Um, yeah. We, were, <laughs> we, we, had a, we were vacationing in Disney World in March of this year, and we were at Animal Kingdom, and there was a functioning payphone attached to the side of the buildings, and I'm... My two sons seriously thought it was a joke. Like <laughs> they thought they picked up the the uh, the handset of this payphone and they expected to, that Mickey Mouse was going to talk to them. Right, right. <laughs> That's what they thought. But no, it was a dial tone, and I you know I don't even know if my younger son has ever heard a dial tone. Right. There is a, there's a great video out there <laughs> of showing a, a bunch of kids, you know, like. 10 or 11 year old kids, a rotary phone and saying, make a phone call on this phone. Right, Here, here's right, my number. Right, and they right. can't do it. <laughs> right. Because right. They've, nobody's ever gone through the three minutes of instruction it takes to use a telephone. Yeah. Yeah. No, a- ask, a, ask a kid today why we use the phrase hang up when we talk, when we say uh, we're going to end a call. I'm right. going to hang up. Why, they, why do we use that phrase? They're not familiar with that. Yeah. You know, we had a, you, you're like me. You probably at some point in your life had a phone in your kitchen. Yep. That was on the wall. Nah, no, it was not on the wall. We never had a wall-mounted phone. No. I always wanted one, but we never had one. Well, we had one in the kitchen with a very long cord, right? You know, a handset cord, and so when you ended the phone call, you hung up. You hung the handset on the phone that was hanging on the wall, and but nobody does that anymore. Anyway, in the cradle at my house. We have digressed. Yes, we have, uh, as we frequently far, do. Far from the 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 story here, but um, anyway, I. Look, on the one hand, I can see uh, there are good uses for anonymity in the world, in our society, um, but uh, it, it enables this sort of thing. So, you know, yes. you've got good sides and bad. Um, well, we'll have a link to this story in the show notes. Um, I'm not sure what really can be done about this. Uh, no? Not paying the ransom or, or the demand. Right. Because right. if, you, if you do that, all they're going to do is come back. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, and you just take the hit a couple of times, um, yeah. you know, that they'll eventually give up. Right. They'll move on to something else. Right. If they're not getting paid. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. All right. Well, that's what I have this week. Joe, what do you got for us? Dave, my story comes from the New York Times, and it is written by Julian Barnes and Edward Wong. The headline is, Chinese hackers targeted commerce secretary and other U.S. officials. Yeah. So apparently, Chinese hackers have gained access to the email account of Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Yes. Which is impressive. <laughs> um, is it? I don't know. Actually, I have some questions I'm going to ask at the end of this. At the yeah. end of this. Um, but they were also trying to get access to uh, people in, in Department of State. Uh, for those outside of the U.S., maybe not, even those not familiar with the setup of the U.S. government, in the executive branch, uh, there are these secretaries who head up different cabinet positions. That's called a cabinet position. Right. Um, And they head up these different departments. Uh, Yeah. Department of Commerce is one department. Department of State is another department. Yeah. Department of Commerce deals with, as you'd expect, commerce and international trade and things. Uh, And Department of State deals with matters of diplomacy. Yeah. It's really what they are uh, intended to do. So it makes sense to me that a... uh, a foreign national would be uh, who works, a foreign 
uh, let me say a foreign state would be very interested in gaining access to the email accounts of the secretaries of these departments. Right. That would right? be a, it's a sensible espionage target. I would agree. Yes. Uh, and particularly Ms. Raimondo, who has been, as the article points out, one of the most outspoken critics of Beijing uh, and has said things like, we're going to stop exporting our semiconductor technology if Russia or if China supplies the trips to Russia. Mm. And uh, we're also going to put uh, tighter export controls on them. Yeah. So China doesn't want that to happen. So it makes sense that this would be a good... Uh, a good target. Now, it's important to note that nobody in the government is saying that China is attributing this to China. Mm. Uh, one of the big problems in all this, and Robert Lee talks about this all the time, uh, his big thing is attribution is remarkably difficult. Yeah. Uh, but they have a number of people who are who are not named in this article who are pretty sure it's China. And I think Microsoft has even gone so far as to say, yeah, this is probably China. Yeah. Um, Microsoft disclosed the hack uh, on Tuesday, and the State Department said that they had discovered an intrusion back in May. Mm -hmm. uh, or they, they just, rather, they discovered an intrusion in June that had started in May. Right. And these are with Microsoft Cloud accounts, Microsoft 365 email accounts. Yeah, and my understanding is that it, it was the government that detected the intrusion and tipped off Microsoft. Right. And Microsoft, because it was a government agency that was breached, they were obligated to do the disclosure. Correct. Yeah. And uh, when the State Department said, hey, we've got some things going on here that are kind of hinky, uh, that's when Microsoft did their internal investigation and found out, oh, yeah, somebody is inside the Secretary of Commerce's email. Oops. Right. Uh, so they found that pretty quickly after uh, Department of State let them know. Right. So U.S. officials are saying that they're only targeting a few accounts across 25 different organizations, and they're only making it, they've only made it into a single digit number of accounts. Hmm. So it's not been a broad uh, attack. And the article says that the U.S. government currently says that no classified information was lost. Uh, it also says from other sources that it's pretty early in the investigation to determine that. Right. So. They give it and they take it away. <laughs> well, that's some high-level targeting, too. If it they, is some high-level targeting. If they indeed got into a cabinet-level uh, email account, that's a serious breach. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I would hope that they are practicing their uh, proper protection of uh, classified information yeah. to make sure that there is no classified information in this account, which there's probably not supposed to be. Right. Um, Microsoft, American officials have said Microsoft charges organization extra for regular access to the logs that would let them uh, discover this. Yes. So, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Dave? Well, uh, my understanding is that this was a point of contention between Microsoft and the federal government um, with some of the contracting for these cloud services. Right. Where the feds were saying, you know, we, wanna, we want to contract with Microsoft for cloud services. And, you know, the government... Contracts. It's probably safe to say they contract with just about everybody for right. the the big the big cloud providers. I would say that's true. Yeah. Um, so in their negotiations with Microsoft, it was a point of contention where the government was saying, "Look, we don't want to have to pay for this premium tier of cloud services to get something as fundamental as logging." Right. And um, and that's what is at issue here. Oh, and 
this is what has happened is because they didn't pay for that service and they didn't get it. Right. Uh, they're now hung out to dry here. Are well, they? Not I'm really not sure. Hung out to dry, I, but they're. I'm not sure because it was the government that discovered this. So right. somebody. It could have been. I, I don't look. I, I'm. I'm guessing here. Um, but I. It could have been that you know, some of the organizations had access to the logs and some didn't. Some felt it was worth it to pay for it. Some didn't. I don't know. I'm totally speculating here. Right. But, um, I have. I have a couple of more fundamental questions. Okay. Why are large government organizations like Department of State and Department of Commerce even using Microsoft Cloud services to host their email? These probably cheaper. It, okay, it's cheaper, but well, it, I don't know. Is it cheaper? It would be. It would be a good question to ask because, especially if you're having to pay for log files or log or log service. Let's just say it's a service. Yeah, I've spoken to people who work in security in the government. Right, and one of their big concerns that one of the things that that I, I've spoken to a person, yeah, who works. In, <laughs> okay, I'll let me say it that way. And and he and I were talking, and he was like, hey, "We're not going to the cloud with our email services because first off, we need to be able to monitor that very closely." Yeah, uh, and this is one of those examples where it's pretty easy to predict what's going to go wrong here, mm. uh, and you're not going to have any insight into the into the into the system. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to be relying on the cloud vendor to provide it. If they miss it, then, I mean, I have a lot of questions here. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, look, like I, I think more... it's ultimately it's a risk assessment. Yeah. Right. And so, so far we're talking about non-classified email accounts. Right. So you, you, you put that reality into your risk assessment and you weigh that against the costs and you say, what would happen if this account got breached and what's level of security is Microsoft promising us for the price we're going to pay and and somewhere along the line somebody made the the assessment or Microsoft won the contract. Yeah. And here we are. Right. My other question and this is a big question is why are government organizations not using some kind of physical security device like like the CAC, the common access card mm-hmm. uh, that would authenticate them much like a YubiKey does. I don't know if it's the same I don't think it's the same protocol uh, but it's a fairly available protocol. Or if that if Microsoft can't do CACs, why not just use YubiKeys? Yeah, or I don't know. They they may be. I mean, this my understanding is that this uh, this hack has something to do with be the the threat actors being able to generate uh, secure keys in a way that Microsoft had not anticipated. I see. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So So they've got they've defeated some secure some security feature. That's my understanding. So this Again, is an advanced I, nation I, state actor. Yeah. Well, I think it's a combination of an advanced nation state actor and a a bug slash vulnerability that uh people were unaware of. Right. And, you know, zero day basically. And so you get those two things together, and this is the kind of thing you can end oh, yeah, up with. Absolutely. It's a classic supply chain All right. issue. Well, then so. my answer, my questions are answered then, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you want to choose a different story this week, Joe? No. no. <laughs> I'm sticking with this one. Okay, very good. Very good. <laughs> but you know what? I think I think your questions are good, and it does highlight the complexity of all of this. Yeah, so that, absolutely. You know, look, security's hard. It is. <laughs> right? And software is complex, and so you you don't. There's no way to know what's lurking under the the hood here. At some point, you got to trust people, 
And I can't blame people for trusting the big providers, but this goes to show you that even the big providers have vulnerabilities and it's a, it's a risk assessment, you know? Yeah, it always is. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, those are our stories for this week. We will have links to those in the show notes. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to discuss here on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Steve. Uh, it is a, uh, it's just a, a, an advanced fee scam mm. or uh, something of that nature, but it's pretty good. Okay. So it goes, it says, uh, Dear sir, I am Barrister Andre Dinis, the lawyer to Ms. Hannity Kearns, late. My client, Hannity Kearns, was born on the 27th of June, 1955, in 1959, sorry, in the Ukrainian SSR Soviet Union, now Ukraine. Unfortunately, he died of COVID on the 17th December 2020 in Berlin, Germany, at the age of 61. I bring you a proposal that will change our lives forever. <laughs> Mr. Henley Kearns was a top politician in Ukraine, known for his political stride. While he was alive, he was a member of a political party known as Kearns Bloch and was a mayor of Kharkov from 24th November 2010 till death. Kearns' wife and her two kids were killed by the Russian military on 8th of April 2022 during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. My client, Mr. Henley Kearns, was one of the corrupt politicians in the history of Kharkov. However, Kearns' 10-year reign in Kharkov was marked by scandals and controversy. Hence, in 2014, an attempt was made on his life. I was his close ally. My client made a fixed deposit of $39,900,000 using a company which never existed. I was the person that handled most documentation of his shady deals while he was still mayor of Kharkov. This is a lifetime opportunity that will change our lives forever going to recommend you as the beneficiary of $39,800,000 so that the funds will be released directly to your bank. All I require from you is honesty and cooperation to enable us to see this transaction through. We're going to share the funds in two equal parts, 50% for each. The transaction will be executed under a legitimate arrangement that will protect us from any breach of law. I advise you to keep this matter confidential. Get back to me whatever your decision as I wait for your prompt response. Yours in service, Barrister Andre Dennis. So, uh, it's it's pretty awesome. It's <laughs> the uh, the the Kearns was the mayor of Kharkov and did die of uh, COVID in uh, December of 2022. Ah, so I did a cursory amount of research. I don't know if his uh, wife and children were killed. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um. But uh, Steve notes, I love the mashup of current events in the Ukrainian war with needing an honest money mule, money laundering mule. Right. So, <laughs> right. I, I I thought this was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's it's obviously fake. You're you're going to get scammed if you start responding to this. They're going to have uh, probably an advanced fee scam. Yeah. To release the money. Yeah. Probably. Uh, and as always, they will. They will keep hitting you up for money until you either run out of money or realize it's a scam and stop paying them. Right, right. All right. Well, our thanks to Steve for sending that in. And again, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for our catch of the day, you can email us at hackinghumans at n2k.com. 
we were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing. They're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons Knowbefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Mallory Safoste. She is the consumer investigator and anchor at WMAR, which is uh, one of our local broadcast affiliates here in Baltimore. Uh, And our conversation centers on how some scammers are going after animal adoption organizations. Here's my conversation with Mallory Safoste. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for having me. It's really awful what we're what we've been seeing i was contacted by the owner of a, a local rescue group bring them home animal rescue and trapping she was extremely frustrated because on may 17th she discovered that she lost access to her facebook page and she needs that page to post about animals that are up for adoption to um, be a resource if someone needs to rehome their animal if they're in a bad situation and also to fundraise because she relies on these funds to care for these animals. A lot of them need medical attention. And this was kind of her tool and her platform to do all of that. And then all of a sudden she lost access. So she immediately tries to contact Facebook and she gets no response. Mm. So she has been trying for months to to get a hold of them to take back control of her page. She sees that, you know, she's been locked out, the password's been changed, and she can't get in. And in the interim, someone is now using her page and, you know, her following to post about fake puppies that are for sale. So this goes completely against the core of her purpose. But also, we know that these puppies aren't real. If you want to, say, buy one, you click through the link, you have to fill out this form, and then they ask for a deposit right away for $300 via Venmo or Zelle. And that's just not how that works. Even if you were interested in in buying a dog online, you know, you have to see the dog, you have to interact with the breeder. You're not just going to send someone money out of the blue. Right. So not only taking over the account, but using the goodwill that these rescue organizations have built up as part of the the scam. Right. And, And in the course of speaking with Leah, who runs this rescue, she let us know that it's not just happening to her, that it's happening to other people. She's also an admin on a page called uh, Lost and Found Pets of Baltimore City and and Baltimore County. And they use the page to post about animals that were found on the streets, animals that were taken to the shelter. And then owners can go there and look through the photos and try to find their missing pet. Well, that page was also taken over by hackers. It could potentially be the same people because they shared 
Leah's fake puppy post that was on her original Facebook. And then they changed their name of the page from the Lost and Found Pets of Baltimore County and City to Barks, which is our local animal shelter in Baltimore City, the Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, trying to mimic them to then solicit contributions to that page, which is extremely problematic because Barks cares for around 10,000 animals a year, and they really rely on any kind of donation that they receive and also their good name. Um, so if people suddenly get scammed, you know, they may not realize that it's it's not actually Barks. And Facebook has been unresponsive? So Leah finally got her page back, I want to say within the last week, but it probably took around two months. And she only got it back because she started going through LinkedIn, scouring the internet. She found the phone number of someone who supposedly works on Facebook's security team. It was actually the phone number for this person's ex-husband who then connected her with this woman. So she had to go through great lengths to get her name in front of someone. Yes. And then within a few days of doing that, her page had been restored. But leading up to that, she had received no response from Facebook. And Dave, I have to say, I've contacted Facebook as well. And typically when I reach out to a company, you know, I'm connected with a public relations coordinator. They'll send me a response. They'll at least acknowledge that they're looking into this. I received no response at all from Facebook. I sent follow-up emails, nothing. Yeah, that really strikes me because I think – you know, I go so far as to say it's a public service that you and, uh, you know, folks at the local affiliate level are able to do for your viewers, for your listeners, to be able to to take on some of these cases where people aren't getting responsiveness uh, because of the public platform that you have. It's it's kind of a superpower that you and your colleagues have to, to make these companies pay attention. But really frustrating that uh, Facebook has been unresponsive to that. Extremely frustrating. And, and also, you know, I, I love animals. I have rescue pets myself. And so right. I feel like time is of the essence here. These local nonprofits, the shelters are filled to the brim right now. Like they need so much help to rehome these animals and they need that money to care for these animals. So the fact that someone is now taking away their ability to do that, you know, I feel like there's urgency to this. And if you were to ask them, they say, yes, animals' lives are at stake by no longer having access to their platforms. And so, you know, that's why they come to me and and that's why I try to escalate this issue or get it in front of the right people. And the fact that I, I wasn't able to do that was really frustrating. And I have to say that with some of these social media platforms, it's almost becoming the norm. We had an issue with Twitter a few weeks ago where an individual was scammed. We tried to reach out to Twitter through their press email and their automatic response now is a poop emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to, I mean, not a serious company when that's the response you get from their from their PR. So what are your recommendations here for organizations? You know, lots of, of companies are doing business on Facebook, both for-profit, but nonprofits as well. In retrospect, are, are there any steps that they could have taken to better protect their pages? Yeah, so, I mean... It almost feels like rolling the dice now that you know the company may not be responsive if this were to happen to you. And and Barks has said that, you know, they are taking every precaution they can to avoid this because they see that rescue groups, um, organizations dealing with animals are targets now. So they've limited the number of admins that they have to, you know, just try to avoid any 
potential phishing scams. There's less people that they could target. Facebook also has a link on their website about how to better keep your account secure, and that includes login alerts and two-factor authentication. I have to say, though, there was a third rescue that we spoke with, uh, RescueWell. They lost access to their page in the beginning of January. Now, the hackers haven't been utilizing the page. She feels like they've kind of been sitting on it, but she says that she received no phishing email, no notices. She has two-factor authentication. She's actually in the tech space, so she was really surprised to see that someone had taken over her account, and she had no knowledge of it until she tried to log in, and to this day, she still hasn't regained access to that account. So. You know, you want to be as careful as you can. And and I know when I log in on Facebook from a different device, it asks me to, uh, you know, approve a code sent to a familiar device. So you just want to make sure you have those two-factor authentication set up. But you just have to be very careful about the links you're clicking on. With Leah and her rescue, she suspects that she was hacked after receiving an email from PetFinder, although it wasn't really PetFinder, and it was mm. asking for her to confirm her nonprofit's details and clicking on that link. And so she thinks that that might have been how her account was compromised. But again, that wasn't the case for, for several others. It strikes me the the social engineering aspect of this. You know, you mentioned uh, that we all, we love these animals, you know, and so I think that that puts our guard down when we see a, an animal that's in need or we're looking for an animal we want to bring into our home. You know, we want to make that that animal is like a family member. And so uh, it's easy to get caught up in that and and um, perhaps not be as careful as we otherwise would be. But I, I guess this is a lesson uh, here that you really need to be vigilant. Absolutely. You know, and also it's a lesson to, you know, we always say adopt, don't shop. But Mm. I have to say, I see so many fake puppy scams on the internet. And the photo that these hackers were using was on eight different websites, four different Facebook pages. So you know that they're just repurposing this photo or other people are to try to take advantage and, and play on people's emotions. They see that cute puppy. They're maybe feeling lonely or vulnerable or, you know, they want to contribute to this rescue group in need, but you have to do your due diligence because sadly the real organizations, the real people that rely on these fundraising and, and donations, you know, are being targeted and exploited. So in addition to reaching out to Facebook, you reached out to some of these payment platforms as well. What did you find from them? Yeah, so how they were operating this kind of scheme is, you know, you would send a deposit via Zelle for this puppy and there was this person's name. Well, if you didn't have Zelle, then you could message them and they give you your Venmo ID. So me, along with several of the people affiliated with the nonprofit, wanted to see what user IDs were being used so that we could make Zelle and Venmo aware of that. And between Zelle and Venmo, there were probably six different accounts we had identified. And the strange thing with this, you know, they were people's names, they were set to private, so you couldn't see how many people had actually paid the deposit for the puppies um, or what other transactions they had had. But I, I alerted Zelle and Venmo. Zelle was very guarded. They basically said they can't discuss any individual accounts, but that fraud isn't tolerated and, and they'll begin investigating right away. They didn't say whether or not, you know, anyone had sent money via Zelle or if they were able to return that. Venmo, however, I worked with their 
public relations person. I sent four different Venmo IDs. We were made aware that at least two people had sent deposits. PayPal did. PayPal is the parent company of Venmo. They confirmed to me that they were able to return the funds for at least one of the victims and that they were able to investigate and freeze some of the other accounts. My question for them, though, was, you know, are these new accounts that were created by these people or were these accounts that had been taken over and now used in this scheme? Because you do have to verify your account through Venmo in order to set one up. Yeah. So that that's kind of another layer, um, you know, of of how, you know, scammers are using peer-to-peer payment transfer apps because it is harder to return the money. It is harder to trace. And, you know, like we saw, they used four or five different names and we don't know if those were actually real people, if they were involved or, you know, if they were just using someone else's account. All right. Well, Mallory, uh, thank you for helping spread the word about this and uh, all the work that you do there at uh, WMAR2 in Baltimore. And thank you for taking the time for us today. Thank you, Dave. So nice being with you. Joe, what do you think? More screaming into the void of big tech, Dave. Yeah. Dave. <laughs> yes. This uh, <laughs> this infuriates me. That yeah. Listening to this story is just more frustrating. Most more frustrating. I was on LinkedIn the other day, and one of my connections was talking about one of his connections that had his account suspended oh. because they thought he was a bot because of the frequency with which he was posting. Huh. Uh, and he was tagging, asking people if they knew anybody at LinkedIn, and he was tagging people at LinkedIn or respondents rather were tagging people at LinkedIn and people who still worked at LinkedIn would not respond. They weren't responding to it. Yeah. And people who didn't work at LinkedIn said, well, maybe you should talk to this person Hmm. Uh, because the person I I checked on this, the person who did respond no longer worked at LinkedIn, but did work at LinkedIn LinkedIn, and said, (laughs) we'll try this person. But that person never responded. Yeah. You know, it's not their problem, Dave. Um, I know, but it makes sense to me that someone would want to take over an adoption page for animals so that they can scam people with fake puppies. That seems like a real uh, opportunity for a scammer. Right. Uh, Even if you were faking adoption of animals, not just the sale of puppies, you could still make money by scamming people with uh, adoption fees. We need a deposit of an adoption fee. Right. Um, And some of the adoption fees at some of these agencies around here are steep. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, we we uh, I have also adopted two dogs out of a um, I don't want to call it a shelter. It's a, it's a an organization out of West Virginia. Okay, and we've gone up there because we have connections up there, and because the fees are a lot less. Huh. Right. Uh, and now we've built a relationship with the folks, so right. you know we've we know who they are. Mm-hmm. We and our next dog will probably come from there. Hopefully, that won't be for a very long time. <laughs> right. Right. Because right now I have two dogs, and in my opinion. That's one dog, two men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I love both my dogs and I, I couldn't ever do anything. You know, I couldn't, I could never change the situation that I have two dogs. Sure. So no angry email, please. Sure. <laughs> Interesting that they're asking you to fill out a form. That is probably another way to capture information they're going to use to uh, either sell or I doubt these guys are actually going to go ahead and, and do some identity theft. They're probably just aggregating information so they can sell it. Right. Um, that's another branch of their business model. And they're taking over, uh, I was, it was interesting when Mallory talks about the guys that took over one page and then set it up to impersonate Barks, which is the, uh, the animal rescue for Baltimore city. Yeah. You know, the animal, um, animal control for Baltimore city. Right. So, I mean, 
that's terrible. Yeah. Because now you're directing traffic away from Barks, right? The actual legitimate service, and you're impersonating them. Right. It's kind of a double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and you're taking this Baltimore County organization. For those who are outside of the Maryland area, didn't grow up in in uh, well, the greatest state in the union, Dave. Um, <laughs> you you tell no lies. Joe. <laughs> My son-in-law, who's from Pennsylvania, says that Maryland has the highest ratio of pride to landmass. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Right, I, that's that's funny. In the union, I don't know. Has he been to Rhode Island? But <laughs> not a lot of landmass there. I don't know. I don't, no, but, yeah, that's a good question. No, but yeah, I, uh, I again, no lies told. Right. I, yes, West Marylanders are fiercely proud of our of our little little home state. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Baltimore City and Baltimore County are two different jurisdictions. Yeah, uh, it, the the county is all around the city, but the city is not part of the county. Right. It doesn't, it's not beholden to anything. So uh, the fact that they're going after a Baltimore County organization and impersonating a Baltimore City organization, I think that's interesting. Um, but I don't think it really matters for what they're doing. They're just, they're just harming two groups of people at the same time. Yeah. Right. Uh, and for that, I hope they're caught. Although I doubt anything will ever happen to these guys. Right. Uh, the length that Leah had to go to to get her page back that uh, Leah is the, the person that Mallory interviewed. Yeah. That is unacceptable that she had to go on LinkedIn, find people who worked on, uh, worked at Facebook, call that person up, say, oh, oh, that's actually my ex-spouse. <laughs> Let me <laughs> right. put you in touch with them. Yeah. To, I mean, that, to, first off, that's a huge amount of dedication on the part of Leah. Mm-hmm. So kudos to Leah. But you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that there's no response from Facebook, one of the things I, I just I just got through talking to a group of people uh, earlier this week about this. Remember, with these social media pro- uh, platforms, you are not the customer. You are the product. Right. They sell you like a grocery store sells groceries. <laughs> and if a grocery store drops a bottle of ketchup on the floor, they don't turn to the bottle of ketchup and go, how can I help? They just clean up aisle six. Right. Right. <laughs> Except with Facebook, it's just bottles of broken ketchup all over the store. Right. <laughs> right. They don't care. Right. It's, it's, you're not impacting their business model at all. Yeah. Why would they, why would they take the time out of their busy, busy day to do this? I mean. You are a rounding error. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's totally up to you to secure your account. And even if you do everything right, there was another story that Mallory was talking about. Uh, this uh, woman who worked in the tech field and had, multi-factor authentication on her account. Yeah. Somehow her group got taken over too. Mm-hmm. Now there's a number of ways that can happen. Uh, all you need to do is put the wrong person in an admin position in one of the groups. Uh, it, you know, and you, you can even know the person that you're doing it to, but if they don't have multi-factor authentication on their account and their account gets hacked, that, that new uh, owner of the person's account can kick you out of the group, assign themselves as, uh, as administrator and, Bob's your uncle, they're done. Right. They've got it. Right. Um, it, there's also a possibility if you're the only administrator that they might have somebody on the inside. I don't know. I need to know more information about that. Yeah. I think that's less likely though. Yeah, probably. Um, I wish that there was some sort of obligation for these companies Dave, to- come now. <laughs> I know, I know. It's adorable for me to say these things, but I wish there was some sort of obligation for these companies to operate at a human scale- when it comes to customer service and responsiveness. In other words, you know, that you, if you're going to do, if you're going to run as a business, then 
you have to be reachable yeah. in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. And that's not the case right now. I, no. There's not going to be the case anytime soon. <laughs> and they, I, think they, it's, I think it's bad for us that we've allowed this to happen. Dave, that would severely impact their profits. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, uh, on the, peer, the discussion on the peer-to-peer uh, money apps is interesting as well. I think these apps are very difficult to... Um, monitor i don't know i don't know what's the word they're, they're, i i don't like them yeah i don't you know i i don't i don't use them i i have used them in the past i don't like using them huh. um but my biggest concern with this is when you send money over these accounts over these uh peer-to-peer things it's pretty much gone right uh, although venmo in, in the discussion did a really good job of getting somebody their money back yeah um and to if i was going to speculate on how they're doing it i would say that they're taking over accounts Mm. They're taking over verified accounts yeah. uh, to get access to them. And then they're probably sending the money via uh, via whatever, the, the uh, Cash App or Venmo or Zelle or whatever, right. around to other accounts. They may have a whole network of these things where they move them through, move the money through. Yeah. Um, convert them to crypto and Yeah, convert it to crypto. Yeah. And uh, once they convert it to crypto, it's, you know, nobody's going to do blockchain analysis for a $3,000 fraud case. Right, right. Right. Well, I, I want to thank uh, Mallory Safaste for joining us again. She's been on our show a number of times. She has. And, uh, I've interviewed her once. Yeah. I always appreciate her taking the time for us. As, as I mentioned in, in my conversation with her, I think you know, the work that they're able to do there as, as broadcast affiliates to shine a light on these things and you know, use the attention that they can bring to these things to try to get things taken care of. Right. You know, that's a real service to their community. And so uh, I'm glad that she's in a position to do that and, and that, that, that that's still happening, you know, because yeah. broadcast affiliates don't have the, the power or influence that they once had. Right. So that they, so the fact that they still find value in doing this for their community, I, I think that's a good thing. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, the, I, although I will point out that she got no feedback, nothing back from Facebook and a poop emoji back from Twitter. Yeah. So it's, it seems to me like these big tech companies have just written off local media and they, I think maybe this needs to be handled by a large, uh, you know, one of the, one of the larger news networks. Yeah. You know, somebody just hammers on these guys day and night. Um, yeah. Well, and sometimes that's how it happens. You know, right. a local affiliate uh, gets hold of a story and then, uh, the network that they're affiliated with runs with it, and and off you go. So yeah. we'll see. I was but. a member of a Facebook group that got taken over, uh, and the one of the members was able to post a link to a new group. They just started a new group, is mm. what they did. Hmm. Um, and everybody that was a small group is only like six hundred people. Okay, um, but we all went to the new group, and. I don't like Facebook. I hate it. Um, it's the only social media platform I'm on regularly. And yeah. it's not on my phone. It's the only thing I have on my phone is the messenger. Right. Um, and uh, that's what draws me into the web interface is the messenger. I go, oh, let me check and see who's sending me this message. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. You know, look, there's no doubt it has utility and people find value in it. Um, I'm not on Facebook, but my wife is. And did if, you did you start a Threads account? No, 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 <laughs> no. I'm not doing that. Either. <laughs> no, I'm I'm I transitioned from Twitter. I locked down my Twitter account and I went over to Mastodon 
And I'm very happy over on Mastodon. You know, it's not algorithmically driven. There's no ads and... It's a, it's a, it's, it's the way the internet used to be, Joe. Oh, maybe I'll get, <laughs> maybe I'll reactivate my Mastodon account or start a new one. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm content there for the moment. I, I don't feel the pull from any of these other uh, young whippersnapper startup social media companies. So <laughs> it's not a whipper. That's Mark Zuckerberg. He's not a whippersnapper. <laughs> well, no, but he's younger than me. So <laughs> yeah, he's younger than both of us. There you go. All right. Well, again, our thanks to uh, Mallory uh, Safaste for joining us. Uh, again, she's the consumer investigator and anchor at WMAR-TV in Baltimore. And we do appreciate her taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.